What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Now it's time to talk about TV in the age of the virus, news you can use. From the Nation Magazine podcast, Start Making Sense. For today's top picks, we turn again to John Powers. He's critic at large for Fresh Air with Terry Gross on NPR, and he was a longtime film critic for Vogue, and before that, for the LA Weekly. John, welcome back. Glad to be here, John. Thanks to you, I've started watching something on HBO Go called The Sleepers. It's a Czech sort of spy thriller, my first Czech spy thriller. Uh, please explain what The Sleepers is about. Well, well, The Sleepers is a story that I think a lot of our listeners would be interested in, which is it's set basically in 1989 in Czechoslovakia, before the fall of communism, but when people kind of realize that communism is going to fall. The story involves two Czech dissidents who have fled, who fled Czechoslovakia in 1977, a good year for flee, fleeing because of Charter 77. They moved to London and they have gone back to Czechoslovakia because they, more or less because they've been told it's safe. And so they go back and then something bad happens. The two get separated and suddenly they're plunged into the reality of Czechoslovakia in 1989, where there are lots of different people. Most of them have their own agendas, and those agendas are often not pleasant. Nicely put. Had you ever heard of any of the people who who made the sleepers or, or any of the stars? No, no, I'd never heard of I'd never heard of any of them, and it's all new. And I was impressed by how well made it is. Um, it is that, you know, somehow I probably have my old sense of the kind of comical footage you would see from Albanian TV series, <laughs> that something out, out, of, out of the Czech Republic wouldn't be so, gr so good. But this, I mean, this, the guy who made it started off in commercials. So it has a, it, the show has a very slick look. But what's interesting is he manages to tell the story in a way that doesn't make it seem like a commercial. It's, you know, it's quite well acted. Almost everybody is in one way or another ambiguous. Probably the least ambiguous person is the heroine, a, the violinist whose husband was the, was the bigger dissident of the two. She is the daughter of a famous dissident in Czechoslovakia who then fell in love with a dissident. But in fact, she doesn't seem particularly dissident. She seems to be the person who is maybe the version of us. All she wants to do is like be in Czechoslovakia, play violin, be with her husband and have a nice life. Whereas everybody else has something else going on. Even her husband has some sort of thing that may be romantic that she doesn't know about. It's a very uh, grim story, a very bleak story uh, that makes this a, in some ways a familiar kind of spy thriller about Eastern Europe in the 70s or 80s. 
It is, but I, th- I think what's interesting about it is that in some ways it, it, you know, it links up to things like the Le Carre stuff in the sense that it's about the way the bureaucracy works. You know, and, I mean, some of my favorite things in the series are the ways that you have these people who work as secret policemen in, in, in Czechoslovakia. And you know, they have spent years hounding dissidents and suddenly they're at the point where they're looking around the world. They've just seen Poland go and they realize within a few months, those people may be in power. What do we do? And at the same time, our bosses and the Soviets are still telling us to crush these dissidents. So how do you, how do you play all of this? So you have people at different levels of schemingness, different levels of honor. And then what makes it especially interesting to me is that you have two British secret agents who are also at work. And as in a good Le Carre thing, they don't like each other and they may have different agendas and each thinks the other one is corrupt. And they have their own plans about how they, what they want to be happening in Czechoslovakia, which are not the same as the Soviet plans. And of course, there's a Soviet spy guy who has his own plans about what to do. The end of the first episode, one of these Czech secret policemen talking to another, recounting a visit they've made to a dissident uh, hangout, says, they're still afraid of us, but now we're getting to be afraid of them. Exactly. Plus, you know, you get, you, know, you get the nice fun stuff to look at. You know, Prague is not a bad looking city at all. Even in the bleakness, make it look, look good. But also the secret police were exceedingly brutal in these Eastern European countries. And so you get some of that as well. And it's filled with twists all the way through the, the final, through the finale and ends on a note that I think that Le Carre would like. So we haven't heard of the people who made this program, but of course there are some famous Czech films and filmmakers Back in the 60s, two Czech films won Oscars for Best Foreign Film. The Shop on Main Street in 1965, I looked this up, and Closely Watched Trains in 1966. But of course, that was a long time ago. Actually, more than 50 years ago. I have not kept up with Czech cinema, much less TV, since then. Have you? No, not so much. I mean, I think when, when communism fell, my, my friend Jim Hoberman saying that the last socialized movie system in the world was Canada's. I was in the Soviet Union in 89 when things were going, going bad. And suddenly the studios, which used to have huge amounts of money with no responsibility for showing that people went to the movies, suddenly started turning capitalist. And I think that happened all through Eastern Europe, you know, there used to be money for film because film was thought to be a propaganda medium that was, that was very good. And at the same time, they also wanted to create art that would compete with the West. And so that's how you would get, you know, someone like Ivan Passer, who's the, I think probably my favorite one, he made a little thing called Intimate Lighting in the 60s, which is really wonderful. But Milos Forman, who would come to Hollywood and be big. It took them a long time and they still haven't really recovered, you know, because part of the marvel of the communist system was it believed in art and not just commerce. And so you had all these filmmakers making really interesting things and you know, many of them left, but basically Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union had a long tradition of great filmmaking. Once they had to go to commercial, they were competing with the West, they had a hard time. Something like this is actually, I think, a real step forward in a way, because you can imagine them having a successful, a successful television series in the West, which is something I, I really haven't seen before. You also recommend novels for us on this show. 
This week you got me reading an old one by a writer I'd never heard of, Alfred Hayes. One I'm reading is a book published in 1958 called My Face for the World to See, republished recently by New York Review Classics. Who was Alfred Hayes? Alfred Hayes was this this interesting figure who kind of hovers in the back of people's consciousness if they're film people. And I hadn't heard of him for a long time either. It was a a French film guru guy who told me, John Powell, have you ever heard of Alfred Hayes? And I hadn't. Alfred Hayes was a Jewish guy born in London whose family moved to New York when he was three. He went to university in New York, went off to fight in World War II in Italy. But before he did that, he had a little career as a journalist and a poet and wrote Joe Hill. You know, you know the thing that was recorded. He didn't do the music, but the actually, I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night was Alfred Hayes. Amazing. Amazing. He went off, went to Italy, learned Italian, wrote a couple of novels set in basically Italy and after the war. And one of them got him connected to Roberto Rossellini in one of the, epi- one of the episodes of Paisan is actually based on an Alfred Hayes thing and Hayes wrote it. Because he then knew the neorealists, he helped Vittorio De Sica write Bicycle Thieves. Mm. And he basically got a couple Oscar nominations for his, his work there, then came back to Hollywood where he worked with Nicholas Ray, Fritz Lang, and, and other people before, as happened with a lot of these talented people, having their careers shift over to writing serial television. So he ended up his career writing Mannix. He'd gone from Rossellini to Mannix, which I think may be some sort of story of of the entire century. In the process, he wrote a series of novels. He wrote three of them about Hollywood's, about screenwriters. The first one's called In Love, which is a hyper-passionate, yet Proustian, yet cruel, short little novel about desire. He wrote the one you're reading called My, My Face for the World to See, which I think is a really good novel. Are, are you enjoying it, by the way? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's a Hollywood noir of the 50s. It's a Hollywood noir of the, of the 50s, and it's smart in lots of other ways. He's got a new one, and the reason why we're talking about him is one called The End of Me, which is about a screenwriter who goes back to New York to recapture his past and gets involved with some young people. Because there's always in his stories an older screenwriter falling in love with a, a, a beautiful young woman. That happens again in the new one as well. He goes back to New York, gets involved with these young people, including a beautiful young woman, and then discovers maybe that the world has passed him by, which is something I think that probably many people feel. You know, I can imagine if you've worked with Rossellini and, and been in big time Hollywood, to suddenly be doing serial TV or not getting work, you can really feel the world has passed you by. He's a really good writer. Probably all three of the novels that I'm mentioning from the New York Review of Press come to maybe 400 pages. Another French friend of mine, I think, accurately said, you know, th- th- there's a certain reminiscence of Fitzgerald to them because they, they're, are, they're about, dark, about these dark romantic relationships. They're quite brief. You can't quite believe they work, but they, they do work. In addition to all of that, He's tremendously good on the relationship between men and women. His female characters are always good characters. He is himself a misogynist, but he's a misogynist of, of the good kind, which is a, speaking literarily, not personally. What you want in your misogynist is that not only does he create memorable female characters, but 
you can feel the misogyny of the characters being shown. So it's not as though it's something where all the women are awful and the guys are heroic. When you're reading the novels, you, th you think, oh, yes, this guy is a misogynist. So we're seeing things through his eyes, but we can see that those eyes aren't seeing things properly. So in terms of sexual politics, he's a really interesting writer. So we've been talking about The Sleepers on HBO Go and about the Hollywood noir novelist Alfred Hayes. Uh, his new novel is out now from New York Review Classics. This has been News You Can Use, a special feature of Start Making Sense. John Powers, thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.